This morning, we're continuing our Advent series, working through the book of Malachi. We'll read Malachi 3, verses 6 to 12 this morning, and then we'll also read a little bit from Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. First, our reading from Malachi this morning, Malachi 3, 6 to 12. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And then we turn over just a few pages to Matthew chapter 2, and we'll read a little bit about the coming of the Magi to visit Jesus. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is God's word for us this morning. I have three points for the sermon this morning, and they're all actions that God calls us to take. We're called this morning to turn, to test, and to give. To turn, to test, and to give. And first, we're called to turn to the Lord. William Thacker is a bookstore owner, and this is a fictional story from the movie Notting Hill, but run with me. William is the owner of a small bookstore. He's the owner and the only employee. He does everything by himself. And one day as he's sitting by his counter there, a rather scruffy-looking fellow comes in and sort of starts browsing the bookshelves and working himself toward the back of the store. And then William notices this guy called Rufus. He takes a book off the shelf, looks around a little bit, and he starts to stick it down his pants. And William sees this going on, and he shakes his head. He takes a deep breath. He walks over to the back of the store, and he says, "Um, you know, I I just saw you try to steal that book. And Rufus responds, what? No, I I didn't do anything. I'm just just browsing. There's nothing. What? What are you talking about? And William responds, no, I know you thought you were hidden in the back of the store, but really, I just saw you put that book in your pants. And Rufus responds with another string of, no, no, I, no, no. And William says, okay, there's two ways this can go. I'm going to go back, I'm going to sit at my counter, and you can walk out as is, I'll call the police, they'll search you, unpleasantness will happen. Or, I'll go back to the counter, you can take the book out of your pants, kind of brush it off or something, put it back on the shelf, and leave. And William goes back, he sits at the counter, and Rufus stands there for a minute, and the wheels are turning. 
he takes the book out of his pants, he kind of wipes it off on his sleeve, puts it back on the shelf, and then he tries to sidle out of the, shelf, out of the store without making eye contact with William because he's, he's a little bit embarrassed. Malachi can be read as a long series of conversations like that. God's people have been sneaking around doing all kinds of, all kinds of unwise and foolish things. And in this book, God keeps confronting them, and God and the people have this set of arguments that go back and forth and back and forth. In our text for today, God begins by telling the people that they've been unfaithful. They need to turn back to him. And the people, as we read this text, seem to respond kind of like Rufus did. What? We haven't done anything wrong. What, what, What do you want us to do? How are we supposed to return to you when we've never gone away from you? And then the Lord tells them, well, you've been robbing me. And the people respond again with, what? Us? We haven't been robbing you. And then the Lord tells them, well, you've been robbing me with your tithes and your offerings. The whole nation of you, you've been robbing me. Now bring the whole tithe in. Turn back to me. And actually, from the very beginning of the text, the Lord's been hinting at this. He calls the people, you descendants of Jacob, and the name Jacob means, means kind of a thief, a trickster, someone who's always grabbing and grasping after things that don't really belong to them. And so even from the beginning of this text, the Lord is saying, you tricksters, you tricksters, turn back to me. And the tithes and the offerings that the Lord is talking about here, they're offerings that are commanded earlier in the Bible. In Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, it specifies that God's people are supposed to bring a tenth of all their harvest. A tenth of all they produce is supposed to go to the house of the Lord. And then it's used to support the work of the Lord, to support the work of the priests, and to help people in need. And here in Malachi 3, the Lord goes and he says to the people, you're robbing me because you're not bringing in the tithes and offerings that have been commanded. Now, from earlier in Malachi, it seems like the people weren't totally neglecting what the Lord had told them to do, but they were just bringing in bits and pieces. Just to give you one example, when they brought animals in for a sacrifice, they wouldn't pick the best animals from their flocks. They'd pick the crippled, the maimed, the diseased animals, and those are the ones that they would bring as an offering to the Lord. They were bringing the Lord the leftovers, the weakest and the worst of what they had. And I would hazard a guess this morning that all of us have done that at some point. Probably even some of us are doing that right now. We don't give as much much to the Lord as we know that we should. We don't give as much to the Lord as we know that we could. We buy things we want instead of providing for things that other people need. We fall short of what we're commanded to do. And that's a problem. It's a problem in Malachi. I would hazard a guess it's a problem we have today. But it's not the deepest problem. It's not really the root of the issue. The presenting problem that God brings up when his people say, well, how have we turned away from you, is this issue of their giving, this issue of their offerings. But the root of the issue is deeper than that. The root of the issue isn't that the people are robbing God like God needed what they have. The issue is that they're breaking their relationship with him. 
the real problem is that the people are not keeping the covenant that the Lord has made with them. That's what the Lord means in verse 7 when he says, Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. And the decrees there are part of the covenant. And the covenant is that time, that agreement that the Lord made that he would be the Lord of these people, that he would be faithful to them, that he would take care of them. And when the people entered into that covenant, they agreed that the Lord would be their God and that they would serve him. The Bible sometimes talks about this relationship between God and his people with the analogy of a marriage. And in a marriage, a man and a woman make a covenant with each other. They make a promise to each other. They agree that they will do certain things and they will not do other things because they have invested themselves in this relationship. Because they have committed themselves to this relationship. Because they belong to each other. And what the Lord is really saying here in this text is that the people are acting like they don't belong to Him. They're being unfaithful. They're breaking the covenant. And their giving or their lack of giving is just one symptom of this this deeper issue. And the real issue is that they're turning away from the Lord. The real issue here isn't a financial issue, it's a trust issue. The issue is that the people do not trust that the Lord will really provide for them. And I think that's an issue that all of God's people always have kind of struggled with. We want to provide for our own pleasures and our own security. And so sometimes we take what should be God's and we use it for other things. We spend our resources on our own pleasures, on the things we want to do, on the things we enjoy. And we spend our resources building our safety nets, doing what we need to do to make sure that we will be secure no matter what happens. We do whatever we can to maximize our pleasure and minimize our pain in life. And really, that's a sensible approach. It's prudent. It makes sense. The problem is, the problem is that doesn't really work. The more of our time and energy and money that we spend on our pleasures, the more in the end we turn out disappointed and often miserable. And the harder we work at keeping ourselves safe, well, the more likely it actually turns out to be that in the end we'll be hurting and vulnerable. Nothing in this world can really make us happy and nothing in this world can really make us safe And the more we run after those things, the less we're able to grab hold of them. Only the Lord. Only the Lord can really make us happy. And only the Lord can really keep us safe. And in this text, he invites his people to test him on that. And that's our second point for today. Test the Lord. When we were missionaries, we had to make one day lists and one hour lists. And the one day list was if we hear that we have to evacuate tomorrow, if we hear that we have 24 hours left before we have to be out of here, what do you need to do and what do you need to pack? What has to happen in that 24 hours? That was our one day list. But then we also had to make a one hour list. 
and you get that phone call and you say, you got to be on the road in one hour. Make a list. What are you going to do? What are you going to make sure is in that truck when you get out of there within an hour? And when we first made those lists, they were pretty long. There was a lot of stuff that, oh, yeah, we'd like that thing, and that would be a good thing, and it'd be kind of a pain to replace that. Let's, let's put that all on the list. But then as time went on, and it became more and more possible that we would actually have to, we would actually have a day that we'd have to get out of there the next day, that we might actually have to evacuate. And the list got shorter and shorter and shorter. Now, my guess would be if we paused a minute and I had all of you make a one-day list and a one-hour list, you'd want to put an awful lot of things on it. But as time went by for us, we realized more and more that you look at this valuable possession and you look at that memento and you look at that thing and you think, I don't need that. I like that, but I don't need that. And by the end of our time there, our one-hour list was really pretty short. I realized I hardly needed to take anything along because I realized that my happiness and my security had almost nothing to do. It had almost nothing to do with how much stuff was in that truck when we pulled out. Really, it didn't matter. Hardly any of that stuff mattered. As long as we were safe and secure It did not matter what else we had. And for all of us, really, the stuff, it doesn't matter that much. What really matters, and this is hard to see in life, but what really matters, if only we can see it, is the Lord. What we really want and what we really need is to be safe and secure in the arms of the Lord. And if we run after anything else, it's never, ever going to work. Nothing is so important or so necessary as being with the Lord. The Lord knows this about us. He knows that we need Him, and He loves us, and He's faithful. And so our text this morning opened with the words, I don't change. I, the Lord, don't change, and so you people, you people who have turned away because I am faithful, says the Lord, You're not destroyed. The covenant between God and his people in the Old Testament had covenant blessings and it also had covenant curses. If the covenant got broken, there was going to be trouble. And the covenants that we read in the Old Testament, most of them actually take the form of similar other covenants that we found in the ancient Near East. They fit the pattern of those covenants that had blessings if you kept them, curses if you didn't. And based on the covenants that God had with his people, he had the right. They had given him the right to completely wipe them out. If they were unfaithful, he had the right to destroy those people. That was just like a lot of other ancient covenants. But what's unique about the Lord and what's unique about the covenants that we find in the Old Testament is that there's the possibility of restoration. Many other ancient covenants just provided for destruction if one party or the other was unfaithful. But the Lord's covenants provide the possibility of restoration. The Lord promises that even if his people have been unfaithful, if they turn back to him, they will be restored. The Lord will never abandon 
his people. And so the Lord, he tells his people that, and then he tells them, test me on this. Return to me, he says. Renew our relationship. Test me, and I will throw open the floodgates of heaven, and blessing upon blessing will be poured out on you. And the word for test there in Malachi, it's a word that often used, it's often used of what the Lord does on his people. The Lord checks his people. He looks them over. He holds them up to the light and sees if they are pure, if they are faithful, if they are how they're supposed to be. And that word is almost never used of what the people do to the Lord. But here in this text, the Lord invites his people, test me, test me, hold me up to the light. See if I am pure. See if I am faithful. Test me and see if I do what I have promised to do. God humbles himself. Almost he humiliates himself and says to his people, test me and see if I am good. Now we shouldn't read that as some kind of agreement that whatever we give the Lord, he'll automatically give back. This is not, this is not God offering an investment plan. God is not saying, give me $10, I'll make sure you get $1,000 back. That is not what this is about at all. What this is about is new life. What this is about is the offer of a relationship with the Lord that will transform everything about us now and for eternity. And there is nothing that could be more valuable to us than that. The Lord invites us to get off the treadmill of running after our own pleasures that will always leave us empty in the end. And the Lord invites us to give up that empty work of building safety nets that we hope will catch us, but that deep, deep down we know never will. The Lord invites us to give up on those things and to hold on to Him. And in Him we find eternal life and eternal security. Look all you want. You will find no greater treasure than what the Lord gives his people. Test him on this and you will find that it's true. And the Lord in our lives and the Bible gives us all kinds of signs of this, but the greatest one is in the coming of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is God's great gift to us. And Jesus humbled himself. He You could even say he humiliated himself by being born as a baby, by becoming weak and vulnerable, just like like we are, by living with us, by suffering for us, by dying for us. Jesus showed us that if we test the Lord, we will always find him to be faithful. There is literally no greater gift that God could give us than what he's given us in Christ Jesus. And if we test him, we will always find him to be faithful. And so because the Lord has given us everything, we can respond by giving gratefully back to him. Our last point for today is that we should give. And we should give for the sake of the Lord. We should give for the sake of other people. And we should give... For our own sake too. And we'll talk about all three of those just briefly as we wrap up this morning. First, we give out of gratitude 
and obedience to the Lord. The Lord is faithful. And because God is faithful to us, because He has entered into a relationship with us, because He has given His own Son for us, we respond with worship and with gratitude and with generosity and with obedience. And when we truly encounter the Lord, giving back to Him is just this automatic thing. We read a few verses from the Gospel of Matthew this morning, and we hear about the Magi, and these are people who had traveled and traveled and traveled and traveled seeking this baby. And when they find Him, they are hopeful and even overjoyed, and they worship Him with gladness, and they bow down, and they are so happy to have found the Lord Jesus And then out of that joy, out of that worship, out of that overflow of gratefulness, they brought gifts to the Lord. The proper response when we encounter Jesus is worship and gratitude and generosity. And so because we're grateful for what the Lord has done, we give back to Him. And secondly, we give for the sake of others. The Lord invites us to participate in His work in all kinds of ways. We are blessed to do the very work of God. We're called to lay down our lives in His service because He has given us eternal life. And one part of that, certainly not the whole of it, but one part of that is that we give of our finances. And there are all kinds of good causes we can give to to help others in need one cause is that we give to the local church. If you belong here, you, you called, you're called to give to faith. You're called to give, well, maybe to our Faith Promise Fund, which provides for missionaries here and around the world to spread the gospel and to make people's lives better. You're called to give like we did today to the Timothy Tuition Assistance Fund that we can help families who want to send their kids to Christian school as part of discipling them and raising them in the Lord. And you're called to give to our, to our general fund, which has such an exciting and compelling name, right? But that helps us keep the lights on. It pays us as pastors and staff so that we have time to, to visit the sick and to visit those in spiritual need and to preach and to pray and to, to help lead us in discipleship and evangelism. And, and that money helps to, to pay for Sunday school and gems and cadets and all kinds of events and activities and programs that help us, help us to grow in the faith here and help us to reach out to others. The Lord has called us to be generous with our whole lives, and part of that includes giving money to help others. And third and finally, we're, we're wise and we're called to give for our own sake. We give for our own sake. I've talked a bit about money this morning because that's where the text in Malachi leads us. But really, this, this isn't about the money. God doesn't really want just your money. God wants everything. God wants your very self. You can't get off this obligation by writing a check no matter how big it is. What God wants is your self. God wants every single piece of your life. 
Anything short of giving God absolutely everything is not enough for him, and it's not enough for you either. Because honestly, as long as we are holding on to what we have, we will never have enough. You could have a billion dollars or ten billion dollars or whatever, and it would not be enough. No amount of money, no amount of possessions, no amount of pleasures, nothing will ever be enough to make you happy. There will always be something more that you want as long as you are on that treadmill. And no amount of possessions or earthly power is really going to keep you safe. Trouble will always find all of us. The Lord knows this. And so he calls us to give as a reminder that it's not our money, it's not our possessions, it's not our things that keep us safe. It is the Lord and the Lord alone who keeps us safe. And the Lord is faithful, and he will always take care of us. A few months ago, I was talking with my grandpa and grandma about our one-day and one-hour lists in Africa when we were missionaries. And my grandparents are kind of pack rats, and they, they'd recently moved to a condo, and they'd kept a lot of stuff. So I was kind of teasing my grandpa about that and saying, you really, do you really need all, I mean, really, do you need all this stuff? And we went back and forth a little bit in good humor, and finally grandpa said, all right, if we're going to play the game that way, I have a one-minute list. And he walked over to my grandma, he took her hand, and he said, dear... Let's go. And then he looked at me and he said, you know, if grandma and I walk out that door, everything else can burn. I don't care. I have my one minute list. That, uh, that shut me up pretty well. But really, that's how it should be. It's not our stuff. It's not our things. It's not our possessions that give any kind of real meaning to our life. It's the relationships. And most especially... Most especially, it's our relationship with the Lord. It is our relationship with the Lord that determines the value of our lives. And really, if you belong to the Lord, then you can have a one-second list. Everything that you need, you can have ready to go in one second because the entirety of your list should be Jesus. Everything that you need, everything that gives your life meaning, when it all boils down to it, you can have that one-second list. That list can be Jesus, and you will have everything that you need forever. If you hold on to Jesus, you will have everything that you need. And by the way, we'll get more into this next Sunday evening when I preach on the next section of Malachi in our candlelight service but this works the other way too. We are on God's one-second list. God values us more than anything else. The next section of Malachi tells us that we are God's treasured possession. You. You matter so much to the Lord that he gave the life of his only son to save you. That is how much God loves you. And if God loves you that much, you can be assured that he will always be faithful. He will not change. He will never walk away from you. So turn to the Lord away from other things. 
and test the Lord and find that he is faithful. And out of gratitude and out of joy, give generously because the Lord is faithful to us.